1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. I had a good morning service, and like Brother Cole said, you pray for that young lady that got saved. It's encouraging to see someone get saved and then come back to church the next week. It really is. And I say that uh, just because the day and age you live in, it's, you don't see a whole lot of it. For every 10 people that get saved, you might, you might get one in church. So that's a blessing. Anything we can do to encourage her and uh, the young lady is uh, able to follow up with uh, her, that'd be just a wonderful thing. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. Man, what a good book, uh, book of Thessalonians. It's a spiritual church. It's a church, uh, I would say it's a church that's on fire, and it's a church uh, It's getting it in the neck. <laughs> Amen. So they're getting it in the neck, and uh, it's tough times, and they're doing right. And uh, just, uh, just a powerful book that we've been in here. We left off in verse 19, and I want to pick back up, take a couple minutes and go over some information that I believe probably everyone in here is very familiar with. But since we're at this juncture, I don't want to drop it. I want to take a couple minutes. Uh, I am not the artist. I did not draw these crowns. If I had them, they'd look like uh, jellyfish. But uh, you ladies that did that, thank you. But uh, uh, over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but it talks about the judgment seat of Christ, and there's things that you can lay up. You can lay up gold. You can lay up silver. You can lay up precious stones. And also we find in the scriptures there's five different crowns. And that's what, our, our, what we should be striving for, not only to please the Lord and not only to tell others about Jesus Christ, but in doing so, if you're able to win someone to Jesus Christ, you're going to lay up some crowns. And that's the first one we cover here, First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we need some help tonight. Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing these dear folk back. I pray that you'd uh, fill their cup to overflowing. And Father, I pray that you give them exactly what they need. Father, again, we ask and beg of thee to open our eyes and behold wondrous things of thy law. Father, I come before you as absolutely ignorant without the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, would you give us exactly what we need and help us never to correct your book and always to obey it in Jesus' name. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? So this first crown here. That's a crown of rejoicing. Five crowns in the King James Bible that you have the opportunity of winning, winning, receiving. And I believe when we get those crowns, what's going to happen is when we get our, our crowns and all those awards, I believe we're going to turn around and cast them at Jesus' feet. And it's always been one of those things I've thought about and uh, hope to God I could get to heaven and have some crowns. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, being uh, a kid, you, you ever been picked last on dodgeball? They pick teams, you know, pick a side, and the popular kid is the captain here. It wasn't me, and the popular kid was captain, and it wasn't me. And it was, I was the last guy picked, easy target, right? Didn't move none too fast. But I'd hate to be up there in heaven and not have any crowns. Not any, I didn't even spell that right. Did, or did I? Rejoicing, I did. Why does that look weird? Just because me, I don't know how to spell, I guess. But that crown, that's a soul winner's crown, soul winner's crown. And, uh, of course, that's found where you just read it there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 19. And Paul, he was a soul winner. And you can be a soul winner, too. And I don't think all of us do all we should for soul winning. And you say, well, why are you being vague? Well, I'm being vague because I probably don't do all I should for soul winning. Amen. Uh, we come across people on our path all the time, and we should be striving for that. Look at James chapter 1. I'll give you the next one. Real quick, we'll just touch these and move on. James chapter 1. I believe every Bible-believing Christian should have these memorized. Memorized, or at least uh, have a note somewhere where they can locate them. I'd hate to be a church member and get to the judgment seat of Christ and found out my preacher never told me how to get rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. At that point, it's too late to fire the guy, but I'd probably do it just out of spite. <laughs> uh, James chapter 1. Uh, this next one is the crown of life. The crown of life. I mean, if uh, some place of employment hired you and they gave you X amount of dollars per hour or they gave you a salary but didn't tell you uh, about a package of benefits and by not telling you you didn't get them, wouldn't that irritate you just a little bit if it was offered to everybody else? Well, sure you would. You all are tired. I understand that. But uh, you ought to have this stuff. You ought to have this stuff. James chapter 1, look at verse 12. 
Bible says here, uh, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. This is a crown of life. You say, what's that for? Oh, just enduring temptation. Crown of life. Can you go one week without uh, letting your own besetting sin uh, trap you and have victory over you? You get a crown of life. For what? Putting up with sin. Not, in, not, not uh, sinning. That's James 1.12. I'll give you another occurrence of that thing. And this thing's out in the tribulation. Go to the book of Revelation. Go to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. You find that crown of life given to someone who dies as a martyr for Jesus Christ. Crown of life. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. I notice this thing now. It says in verse 10, For none of those things which thou shalt suffer, I'm sorry, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. So what happened in church history? Well, a lot of people were killed and slaughtered for the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, but a lot of people thought that the only way they go to heaven is by dying a martyr. Here's the thing, if they weren't saved, if they didn't have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to their soul, they died and went to hell under Jesus' name. You see what I mean? That's a terrible thing to have, go through there and suffer for Jesus Christ and not even be a believer. But here, that thing is James, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, you, can go to, you can get a crown of life for being a martyr. But I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, that whole idea about being a martyr, that thing's no fun at all. But can you endure temptation? How about this one? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Now here over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, a fellow can get a crown for faithfully running the Christian race. Faithfully running the Christian life, race and uh, uh, keeping his body under subjection. Controlling his body. Now that's a mouthful right there, isn't it? Uh, as you are turning over there in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 9, let's read a couple of verses here, if I can find them here. 9, verse 24 to 27. The Bible here says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. Every Christian ought to run the Christian race like he's after something. Amen? You ought to have a goal in sight. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, in all things, you think about these, uh, my wife, she loves tennis. Uh, she likes figure skating, too, and I can't stand either one, amen? But you, these, uh, these professional athletes, and uh, they count every calorie. They count minutes of practice. They keep their body under control. You know, I had a lot of Bible believers uh, 10, 15 years ago, bad uh, NFL and NBA, and I get that because they're proud, they're arrogant, a lot of them are, are godless, they're anti-God. i got something to think about that. Do you know how much discipline it takes to be a professional athlete? No, I don't, because <laughs> I'm not one, and neither are you, amen? But imagine the discipline it takes to get to that level of performance. It's like less than 1%. And to get where they've got, okay, they got a big mouth, and they're all this, that, and a bag of chips, and got the T-shirt, but man, they sure had to put their body under control, didn't they? They had to watch everything they ate. They had to count calories. You count calories? <laughs> Most of us don't. Yeah, we count them. See you later. Goodbye. <laughs> but the whole thing is that uh, what this thing is here in verse uh, uh, number uh, 27, that thing's an incorruptible crown. An incorruptible crown, uh, Paul calls it. And that's for faithfully running the Christ, uh, Christian race. You know how hard it is for me to talk and write at the same time? My goodness. I feel like I'm in third grade again, you know. That's the worst four years of my life. Anyways, <clears throat> the incorruptible crown. Now, while we're on that thing about being faithful, I'll go over to first. Are we dead? Dead in the water? Okay, I just didn't think you'd come up here to visit. I'll go to First Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter 4. We run these uh, references enough, some of you already know where we're going, don't you? You see, in the Christian life, we weren't told to be successful. Isn't that a blessing? 
You ever stop and think about Jeremiah, that prophet, 52 chapters of the book of Jeremiah, had the most solemn ministry he ever had. Not one single convert. The nation of Israel never repented, never got right. Uh, no one got called in mission to the Congo. Nothing, right? It's just, just gloom, despair, and agony on me the whole way through. But yet God thought enough about Jeremiah. But you know what he was? He was faithful. I mean, that guy went through it, and he was in prison. They pulled him out. They beat him. They messed around. And they, they gave him a hard time. And the Lord said, you go preach. I'm going to tear him up. Go preach. I'm going to tear Go preach judgment. Go preach. Go preach, by the way, if you turn to me, I'll turn to you. And the whole ministry of Jeremiah was a negative ministry. And you, some, some of y'all read Jer- Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. You're like, my goodness. You know, you're looking for the, you know, the, the silver lining behind the cloud, and there isn't any except the fact that God will never get rid of Israel. And so Jeremiah, you know what he was? He's faithful. And there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, look what it says. Moreover, it is required. You know what God requires of you? I mean, everyone here tonight that came of their own free will, he requires faithfulness. Amen. Faithfulness to Jesus Christ and a steward must be faithful. And you know, that is the single most, uh, in my estimation, uh, of being in the ministry as a pastor for now eight years and as an associate for 18 years before that and all that, it is my estimation that learning to be faithful to what God wants you to do is the number one most hard thing, hardest thing in the world next to battling your flesh. If you can, if you can battle uh, this appetite right here, you can control a lot of appetites, but that whole thing about being faithful, why? It requires adherence to routine duty. And that is literally one of the most boring things. My mentor told me, he says, you know what the difficulty you're going to have here in Tower City? I said, what? He said, the, the, the difficulty you're going to have is showing up service after service after service after service and seeing no results. And then going back home and studying like there's going to be a thousand people there and preparing your guts out and praying your guts out and doing your best and giving and searching and digging in that book to give the people of God everything they need to succeed or be faithful in the Christian life. That's going to be the hardest thing. What? Routine duty. And so he says, you don't have to be successful. He said, it is required uh, that you're supposed to be faithful. And that's an incorruptible crown. That's the hardest thing in the Christian life, but you can get it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. And the reason you say, well, why aren't Christians more faithful uh, to what God wants them to do? Well, you ever stop and think about how much drag the world puts on you? You ever stop and think of how much drag your own flesh puts on you? Uh, we blame the devil for a lot of things, but if the truth were told, I would reckon, if I could say it like that, that your flesh <laughs> is a pretty close second to the devil. I don't know about you, I haven't had too many fights with the devil, but I fight my flesh every single day. And just about the time I'm like, look at man, I got a, I got, I got a handle on it and I got a rain on this. And next thing you know, you wake up and it is roaring at you. That's your flesh. But that uh, incorruptible crown for faithfully running the Christian race and controlling your body. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter. Now here's a crown for a preacher or a minister, or a pastor, or a missionary, I would say this, even like a Sunday school teacher, amen, or a Christian school teacher. Uh, this is, it's called the crown of glory, 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, here in 1 Peter chapter 5, Brother Peter says uh, in verse 1, the elders, uh, let's see, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partake of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, uh, not by constraint. All right, so he's supposed to take the oversight, that pastor is. You see that? He's supposed to be the one, and he's supposed to do it of a willing mind, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, not for a paycheck. You see it? But of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, not being a dictator. But he's got to make sure that no one else is a dictator. Amen? <laughs> you see how the thing works? He can't be the dictator, but he's got to make sure no one else can, uh, tries to take over either. And not as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Look at it now, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. That's a crown of glory. And that's for a preacher, a pastor, a minister, a missionary, a Christian school teacher. And these are crowns that you can get. Uh, up there at the judgment seat of Christ. 
Let me give you the last one, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, this one is the crown of righteousness, the fifth and final crown. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Like I said, I'm sure you're very, very well acquainted with this, but I'm telling you what, review is good for the soul. It's good. Why? I press toward the mark. I don't know about you, but I've already forgot a couple, and I've taught this probably a dozen times. I already forgot a couple of them. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. I forgot about that one right there. You forget how important it is and how valuable it is for you to learn to regulate your body. Amen? And be faithful. Uh, have you ever, you know, got to go to, getting ready to go to church uh, some night, and you're like, ain't no one going to miss me tonight. <laughs> you ever think that? Of course, of course not. I mean, nobody here would think that. You ever think, ah, it's all right, you know. Man, I don't feel like going, you know. My head hurts, my side hurts, my tail hurts, my feet hurt, my arm hurts, my knee hurts, my back hurts, my face hurts, killing everybody else. But you ever stop and just think about that and say, nobody will miss me. But it's hard to be faithful on that thing. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. All right, the Bible says here, uh, this is Paul. He's given his last words. They're important. He says, uh, verse 7, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. You see that? He's fought all the way to the end. And let me tell you what, Christian, the Christian life will be a fight to the very, very end. Uh, he says in verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, now you can get in on it, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You know what that tells me? Paul was waiting for Jesus Christ to come back. And he was counting the days. The Bible says over in the book of Psalm chapter 90, so teach us to number our days. You numbered your days lately? Some, some of us are on borrowed time, amen? But that crown of righteousness, that's for loving Christ's return. Crown of righteousness. I don't know, uh, if you stop and think about the prerequisites, the requirements of some of these things, uh, it, it seemed like maybe this one might be a little bit easier to obtain than others. All right. uh, and that's uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. I mean, can you just wake up and uh, maybe like put a post-it note at the foot of the bed? Get excited about Jesus coming back. <laughs> You wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm so excited. I just want you to come back. And, and, and you put another post-it note, I don't know, wherever you sit on the chair in the evening. and you Get excited about the Lord coming back. And every night, Lord, would you come back by 6? And if you can't, come back by 6 a.m. And, and if not, if you can't come back by 6 a.m., would you make it by noon, please? <laughs> so I don't have to watch the news tonight. And, uh, but that's the crown of righteous for loving Christ's return. And that, that completes chapter 2 there. So if you would take your Bible, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We want to jump into verse 1 here. But those are some rewards that you can get at the judgment seat of Christ. And we believe and teach that the stones, of the gems, the lively stones, uh, in those crowns are literally the souls that you have won to Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul says, what is our hope or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye at his, uh, his coming? And uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 1. Moving right along. Paul says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. Now here, wherefore, it just simply means what Paul is saying. He's saying, in view of what I said in chapter 2. That's what the wherefore is there for. <laughs> All right. Uh, the forbear, when he says forbear, it means Paul couldn't wait. He couldn't wait. Uh, Paul was concerned about them. I'll just flat out say it. I believe Paul was worried about them. Say, I'll preach your worries of sin. Sure, you do it all the time, don't you? <laughs> I believe Paul was worried about his new converts. And Paul did a lot of worrying about his, Christ, uh, about, uh, his converts and those new Christians. And you know, uh, many of you know, that's one th thing the devil will use. He'll use the cares of this world to get to you. He'll use the cares of this world with your family and with friends and with coworkers and church members and and uh, uh, if you remember over in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, uh, Paul admonishes us to be careful for nothing. That doesn't mean you're not careful. It just means you're not full of care about things. And uh, you, the only way that you and I can ever not be full of care is to make sure we're taking time and going to the Lord with that thing. Amen. We've got we to gotta cast all our care upon Him, for He careth for you, the Bible says. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 just for a second. I want to 
show you about some of the things that Paul went through. We won't go through all the lists, but all that list there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 describes all the troubles and the trials and the difficulties that Paul's going through. And I believe you get down to verse, what is it, 28? He says in verse 28, Beside those things, the first 27 verses he listed there, he said, Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now here's the Apostle Paul. He's uh, got churches he's established all over the place. And he cares about his converts. And he's trying to follow up with them. And they don't have email. And they don't have texts. And they don't have cell phones. And they don't have all this stuff. And he's got to take a ship and go somewhere. And it takes time. It takes time. And Paul was concerned about all those churches that he established. That he got started. And Paul was worried about them. And think about it. Paul knew that the Thessalonians had a great start. I mean, the start of this book is phenomenal. And everywhere they go, they're witnessing for Jesus Christ. And by here comes the suffering, right? And you've got to remember that. When you start doing right, here comes the tomahawk. And you've got to get prepared for that. And Paul was worrying about it. Why? Well, the Thessalonians started to suffer. Not only that, but Paul, at this point, he's suffering too. He's in the clink. All right, and Paul's suffering, and Paul knew this. You know what Paul knew? Paul knew that when Christians get to suffering, listen now, they usually quit. Paul knew that. And uh, new Christians often will quit when the suffering comes. Christians that are young in the faith, not, not an aging young, but Christians who are not sound in the word often will quit. Why? Suffering. Not only that, but Christians will quit when they see other Christians suffering. You've got to keep that in mind too. And that's why Paul's about ready to say some of the things he says in verse 3 and 4. But look at verse 2. Bible says, And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Now notice here in verse 2, you've got three marks of a good minister. Three marks of a good minister. Not only is he a brother, not only is he a minister of God, but that boy Timotheus, he's a fellow laborer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the three marks of a good minister. But now notice what his responsibility is in the back of verse 2. You see it? His responsibility in the back of verse 2, number 1, to establish you, and to number 2, comfort you concerning your faith. And let me tell you what, I'm not going to claim that I am, but a good preacher, he'll establish you. Amen? A good preacher will establish you in the faith. He'll make sure your doctrine's sound. He'll make sure there's no works for salvation. He'll get you off to a good start. No works for salvation. He'll teach you about eternal security. No works for salvation. No works to stay saved. Amen. That's a good foundation. And then a good preacher, you know what he'll do? He'll give you comfort. You say, how does he do that? He lets you know where you're going when you die. Amen. He'll say, hey, by the way, we're not home yet, children. So keep your eyes on the Savior. That's what he does. And he tells you when you're going to go when you die. He'll tell you, he'll remind you that if uh, you don't faint, you're going to reap. That's a good preacher. He'll comfort you in the faith. And he'll encourage you to keep serving the Lord. And he'll encourage you to keep on going and not quit. And he'll try to preach at you and try to get you to believe and accept the fact that the promises of God are true. And as a Christian, you and I need to learn to walk by faith. That's what a good preacher should do. Uh, but notice this in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 2. They hear of Paul's troubles. They hear of his troubles. And these new Christians, they had a tendency uh, to lose faith in Paul, in Paul's leadership. And then eventually they would lose their faith in God. Now, of course, they didn't lose their uh, uh, salvation, but they would lose their faith in God. And you know, that's true in a lot of churches today. I've, I've even seen that right here. I've seen times where my, my family's gone through trouble and it affects other people. You say, well, what did you do to them? I didn't do anything to them. We were just having trouble. And when people see you having trouble, if they're not grounded in the faith, there's a tendency for other Christians to quit when they see you going through suffering. Why? They don't want to suffer. And a lot of times they quit because they're not prepared. They're not ready for what's around the corner. So they see you getting it in the neck and they're like, yeah, no thanks. And out they go. And that's true of a lot of new Christians. And Paul was concerned about that. And you ever stop and think about a lot of the modern churches? A lot of modern churches, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, it shows you what a lot of these modern churches believe today. And modern churches, all, uh, it's all psychology. And if you ever listen to any a number of the preachers of today that have actual airtime. Look, I don't have airtime, and that's a good thing. Why? I'm not worth it. You say what you want. And if you want to say, oh, you're a wonderful preacher, I'll praise the Lord for it. But I'm not one of those guys that gets, uh, I don't get looks, likes, or listens. 
Amen. And I get the views racked up. Why? God's called me to be a preacher here. He said, feed the flock which are among you. My ministry is not that little box right there in the wall. My ministry is you right here. Amen. But that's not me. Some people can do that, and God will use them in a much more uh, different way. But I want you to see the, the attitude of the modern church, 1 Timothy 6, 5. What happens is they assume, they assume that godliness is gain. 1 Timothy 6, 5, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. All right, so in this community, if this church here was to start blowing the doors out and blowing the windows out, you know what people would think? Ooh, they're doing something right. You know what I, you know what I think when I see a church that's exploding their numbers overnight? They're cutting corners. They're compromising. You know why? It doesn't work that way. You don't blow the doors up overnight. Even with a business, you don't do it. If you expand too much as a business, which we're not a business, that thing will sink. Slow growth, sure growth, and steady growth. And you let the Lord do the growing. 1 Timothy 6, 5, perverse disputings of men of corrupt mind. Corrupt mind, they got a problem with their mind. They can't think straight. Destitute of the truth. they got a problem with accepting the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. Haven't you seen the advertisement for the, the pretty little uh, uh, boy and girl schools with million-dollar campuses and all that stuff? You know, the, the, they send out those flyers to do to You know what they do? They suppose a gain is godliness. you got to watch that stuff. That's the attitude of the modern-day church, and that's not how it works. But here's the thing. Because of that, when they start to see a Christian going through trouble, or a preacher or a pastor going through trouble, they assume right off that bat that that individual can't be blessed of God. And you've caught yourself doing that before. If you were saved under a ministry or if a church that you used to go to going through trouble, automatically the assumption is this, well, God's done with that place. How many times I heard people say, well, Ichabod's written on that place. You don't even know how to spell Ichabod. Stop it. How do you know Ichabod's on there? Is the Bible being preached? Whether we had one or a hundred, Ichabod's not written on this place. Now, did the plate go through trouble 20, 30 years ago? Sure it did. Have we had trouble in the past? Sure. But a lot of times it's easy to assume that because there's trouble in a local assembly or trouble with the preacher or trouble with people in the church house, that God's done with it. That's not how that thing works. You've got to stop and realize that suffering is how God establishes you as a Christian. And that's what the modern church member is not willing to accept anymore. They have this idea that once they get saved, their problems are over. <laughs> the eternity problem's over. But once you get saved, the whole new past of them just begun. Uh, but Paul, he's trying to explain to them, and he's trying to establish them, and he's trying to comfort them, and show them, look, you're going to have trouble, you're going to have trials, you're going to have tribulations, you're going to have difficulty, and uh, if they're going to follow what Paul said to do, uh, in chapter number 2, look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. Look what he says here. Paul says that no man should be moved by what? These offerings? These afflictions? Why? Paul knows that when men are afflicted, people get shaken up by it. Think of your own life, how you've had trouble, maybe, maybe financial trouble, or maybe major physical trouble, and how it shook you up. And it was all you could do just to deal with the problems that you were having. All right, but uh, the afflictions uh, that, Paul, that the Thessalonians were dealing with, the afflictions that Paul himself suffered, uh, all you got to do is read Acts chapter 17. You'll see what the Thessalonians were suffering. Acts chapter 17 chronicles the suffering of the Thessalonians. At the back end of verse 3, it says, For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. And that's something you got to remember. You and I were appointed to what? Afflictions, suffering, absolutely. You can never forget that. Where the average Christian goes wrong and where he gets shaken up by the trouble is he forgets that God has an appointment list for every Christian along the step of the, uh, their Christian life. So as soon as a new Christian gets saved, he can what? Well, you can expect some troubles. You can expect some problems. Now, everything that happens, like we said this morning, is not the Lord's fault. It's not the devil's fault. But uh, as soon as you uh, get saved, you can expect trouble. You can expect new problems. Amen? Uh, your boss is going to get on you for not going to the Christmas party. Amen. He will. Been there, done that. 
uh, the boss is going to get on you for not drinking like everyone else, and he's going to ask her, she's going to ask you, and she's going to get snotty with you and ask you if you think you're better than they are. It's going to happen. And you have to be ready to give an answer to the hope that lieth within you. And they say, why aren't you going? I'd say, well, why are you going? <laughs> but that's me. I'm a smart aleck sometime. Maybe you got a smarter, wiser, more mature answer, but they're going to get after you for it. And how about that? You go to a, you know, a, a meeting or something, someone will flip you a smoke because you used to smoke, and you'll turn it down, and they'll get in your grill for it. Well, you think you're better than us? No, I just like burning up my lungs with cancer. How about you, you know? You know, Surgeon General said you live longer if you don't smoke them if you got them, you know? <laughs> but, uh, and then they'll jump on you for it. And all those things, what they have a tendency to do if you're a young Christian or if you're a Christian that never got rooted or grounded in the Word, it'll shake you up. And it'll kick you out of church. It'll get you to backslide and get you away from God. Why? Not ready for it. And that's what Paul was worried about. That's what Paul was concerned. Uh, but if you keep having trouble in those kind of things, generally what happens with new Christians, when they start having trouble, and they keep having trouble, and they're not ready for it, what happens is Christians will often be moved to a position of compromise to keep from having trouble. Let me ask you this question. If you're walking uh, through the house, and uh, every time you walk over by the, the stove, you get burned. Are you going to keep walking by the stove? You're going to go around it. And that's what happens. You, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and carnal Christians, they start giving you hassle for what you're doing for Jesus Christ, and the Lord is establishing you through suffering. And every time you go around that stuff, it bites you. And what happens, you're like, I'm tired of it. I, I'm not ready for it. I can't handle it. So then you enter into a position of compromise where they don't think you're too much of a radical Christian and it causes you to backslide. It causes you to lose fellowship with Jesus Christ and that Christian will strive not to rub the world the wrong way. You've heard the phrase before, uh, you know, don't go against the grain, right? Don't rock the boat. I like what Peter did in John 21. He jumped out of the boat. <laughs> Get out of the boat if you're in the wrong boat. And you have to remember that Jesus Christ said in John chapter 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. You've got to, you've got to remember that, Christian. It'll help you this week. It'll help you this week. And that is the Christian's lot in life. Let me say that again. That is your lot as a saved, born-again child of God. It's going to be suffering. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, this is a great book for you to learn about suffering. Your lot in life as a Christian is to suffer for Jesus Christ. Which in one way is a blessing because that's how we get to rule and reign if we're willing to suffer. But you know, in 2022, I don't know a whole lot of Christians that are willing to suffer for Jesus Christ. You say, well, you think you're all that and you're really ready to suffer? I don't know if I am or not, but I sure hope I can. I sure hope I can. I sure have prayed a number of prayers lately. Lord, whatever I got to go through, Lord, I sure would like to be able to take something on the chin for you. And Lord, uh, if, if you want me to come through this and you want to bail me out of this, praise Lord. And if not, and you just want to snuff me out because I'm all the way up in northern Michigan. It won't hurt anybody's feeling anyway. Just give me the right spirit to go through with it. You say, how could you say something like that? How could you not? You ever stop and think that uh, what you are to the Lord, you think the Lord got a good deal when he got you? I got this idea that maybe I'm just a rag in the back pocket of the Lord, and I ask, like my mentor uh, preaches and prays a lot, Lord, uh, just let me be a rag in your back pocket, and you need to wipe some, something off somebody. Just let me, just, here I am. I'll be in the back pocket right here, and you just grab me and wipe some crud off somebody. Amen. 2 Timothy 3.12. Notice what Paul says to Timothy. He says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus... They'll be financially secure and never have another trouble again. <laughs> he said, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You ever stop and think uh, why a lot of the Christians don't want to live godly now? Because when you live godly, here it comes. It's coming. That's not fun preaching either. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, he says, we are appointed thereunto. There are some appointments there. And you're going to have to keep them. I always stop and think about Nicodemus. And the Bible says in John chapter 3, he came to Jesus by night. He was a master 
of the Jews, right? He was a religious man. He was the highest ruler. He was the highest estimation of a good man there could ever be in the Bible. And at first he comes to Jesus by night, but at the end of his, uh, when Jesus is being crucified, and now he's, he's craving the body of Jesus Christ. And after he's resurrected, you find Nicodemus publicly standing up for Jesus Christ and witnessing. That's a good thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4, the Bible says, For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. Now here's the thing. Paul's, Paul's not saying, I told you so, I told you so, but he's saying, I told you so. <laughs> he says, I told you this was coming. And he's trying to encourage him. He's concerned about him. He, he can't wait anymore. He's, he's tired of uh, just not doing anything. And he's, he's got to go find out how his new converts are doing. And he sends Timotheus. And he's got a message there by the hand of Timotheus there. And uh, he says, For when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass. And you know, look at Philippians chapter 1. I'll show you this one in Philippians. And Christian, what you have to do is you have to be real careful not to judge somebody that is under the hammer or someone that's under the gun. Did you catch that one? You and I got to be real careful that when someone's under the gun, you automatically think negative of that person. You think God's judging them. You ever stop and think of some of the things you went through? Do you think that you really deserve the things that you went through? Oh, I'm Lord and whale poop in the bottom of the ocean. Okay, that might be. But did you really think you deserved everything you went through? Of course you didn't. Matter of fact, you've actually got on your knees or spent time in prayer and say, Lord, I really don't know why I'm going through that, right? That's what you prayed. Lord, why do I have to deal with that? I understand we're not supposed to, uh, we're not always supposed to ask why. We're supposed to, how can I get through? Oh, that's all the spiritual answers there. But a lot of times you just go, Lord, why? You know why? He's trying to establish you. He's trying to strengthen you. He's trying to build you up in the faith. And the only way that you will grow and the only way that you'll get closer to Jesus Christ many times is through suffering. Now look at this in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. So you've got to be real careful that you don't judge everyone that's going through some tough times as being under the hammer of God. All right. Oh, what's that verse here? Thank you. 129. Bible says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for his sake. There it is, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. He says you're going to suffer if you're going to be there. You're going to suffer. And uh, you just got to be real careful. It could be very well that the individual uh, that you're thinking is under the hammer, they're doing right. God's trying to establish them. He's trying to strengthen them. He's trying to bring them up. And we all have a tendency to make that judgment. I've been guilty of that many times, and you got to be careful. And uh, some things, you know what they are? They're not a negative judgment of God. You know what some things are according to 1 Peter 4? They're just a fiery trial. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. See, you have no idea where someone's at. Uh, you might think that uh, because this person does something different than you, and all of a sudden they're getting it in the neck, that, well, I told you, you know, they, I don't think they're living for the Lord. No matter what you think they're doing. They could be living right, and you just got issues with your pride. Sometimes it's just a fiery trial, Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Brother Peter says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Isn't that what we do? That's what I do. I'm like, what are you thinking, Lord? <laughs> this is weird. I didn't deserve this. I didn't call for this. Lord, I've done a lot of dumb things, but I didn't deserve that. Right? But he says, think it not strange. Why? Because some things in your life as a Christian are just fiery trials. And they never come when you want them. They never come when you want them. It's like that storm. You never expect to be caught out in a storm. And that storm, it never comes at the right time. That storm never comes to you when uh, all your bills are paid. That storm never comes to you when you're in good health. That storm never comes to you when you're at the top of your game. It comes when you're least expected, when you're off on your footing, when you're just that much out of fellowship with Jesus Christ, and everything is going you know where in a handbasket. Boom! The storm comes. Why? Pointed unto afflictions. That's when the storm comes. Now, this is very important. And Christians often think once they get saved, they shouldn't have any trials. But once you get saved, you do have trials. You just don't have the eternal issue anymore. You got that thing taken care of. 
And uh, what's important is many Christians, they're moved, they're shaken by trouble, they're shaken by suffering, they're shaken, they're shaken when they see other Christians suffer. And what happens, they get upset, they fall away from the church and they backslide and they get away from Jesus Christ because as soon as they got saved, nobody told them they're going to have troubles. I couldn't tell you enough, you're going to have trouble. And you're going to have trouble this week too. Now, some of you might not have as much trouble, but someone's going to have trouble this week. And someone's probably going to have a fiery trial this week. So just prepare. I mean, don't freak out, you know. You know walk around, you know, you know, worried that uh, you're going to drop over dead. But someone's going to have some trouble this week. I look at 1 Peter chapter 2. And Christian, I'm telling you, I don't want to be guilty of not trying to paint a rosy picture. Paul was not deceitful, remember? He wasn't going around saying, now look, you get saved, all your trouble's over. He was laying it down. He's like, look, you get saved, you straighten up, you fly right, and trouble's coming. He said, we told you this was going to happen. 1 Peter chapter 2, 21, look what Brother Peter says about this. Uh, he's uh, letting you suffer to get established. And he says here, he says, for even here and too were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. All right, so there's the example of suffering. Jesus Christ suffered for you. And you know what? It goes without saying, but we should be willing to suffer for him. He suffered willingly, and we should be willing to suffer willingly. You ever stop and think about that passage? It says, well, they reviled, he reviled not again. I ain't there yet. I ain't there yet. The reviling comes. You know what I do? I'm catching myself half the time. Just running off at the mouth. I'm sure you don't. But Jesus Christ, when he was reviled, reviled not again. He was led to the lambs. The slaughter was dumb. Like a dumb lamb. There he was. Just a sheep. Bad. Not saying nothing. Stood before Herod. Herod wanted to see some trick, see some miracle, some great thing. The Lord didn't say a thing. I often think he didn't say a thing to Herod because he was thinking, you fox, you killed my cousin. I ain't saying nothing to you. <laughs> but uh, look back to 1 Peter 4.12 again. We were just there. Go back one more time. 1 Peter 4.12, the Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But look what he says, verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. Hey, I want to be nice to get to heaven and you've suffered for Jesus Christ. And the Lord says, you took part in my suffering. Well done. Well done. He didn't get it all right, but man, you suffered for me. I've got some rewards for you. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That'd be good, won't it? You get to rule and reign. Have, have uh, authority over five cities. You weren't the ten guy, but you, you're the five guy, you know. You weren't the one. But... Uh, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So when you're going through those things, uh, Peter says you're supposed to rejoice and be happy. Man, that's a hard thing, especially when you're getting it in the neck, isn't it? That's tough. Peter says rejoice. Uh, look over Luke chapter 6 just for a moment. Luke chapter 6, you've got to be careful. Uh, the Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, you're going through these things, and you need to be rejoicing about it. And on the other hand, if you're not going through these things and everyone thinks the world of you, you better also be careful about that too. Luke chapter 6, verse 26, the Bible says, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. You ever stop and think what it is about this generation that everyone has to think so highly of us? You ever stop and think about what it really is? Uh, is, it, is it our lack of... Uh, we think we've... Uh, you know, progress so much in this world, but we always got to be recognized. I'm putting, I'm putting all of us in the front seat of this wagon here. All got to be, all, all be liked, we all got to be listened to, we all got to be followed. And if you don't uh, like my update, then uh, I don't like you, and I'm not going to follow you. And I don't understand what it is about. Why does everyone have to talk so well of us? They never spoke well about Jesus Christ, did they? Every time I read in the Gospels, they're getting together, seeing how they can kill him. <laughs> and I don't know how we think we're going to walk through this world. Take the name of Jesus Christ wherever we go. You know, be a blessing to someone. Try to win souls to Jesus Christ and try to serve the Lord with gladness and try to get along with the brethren and expect the world to like us over it. I don't understand that. Luke chapter 6, verse 26, the Bible says, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. 
Man, they sure spoke bad about Jesus Christ, didn't they? Every time you turn around in the Gospels, they're trying to trap him in his speech. I mean, I don't think people try to trap me in my speech. I really, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just a fool. But every time, it's like the Lord has turned around, they're trying to catch him in his words. And if everybody's talking good about you, I guess maybe you're not much of a witness or testimony for Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. Uh, we had, uh, we grew up on, well, we, I grew up. I didn't really grow up. Anyways, I got older. Over on Rampart Road, and, and, and mom and dad had some animals. They had uh, a couple cows, right? Big Mac, quarter pounder, and uh, Bo and Pete, the sheep there. And had some horses, but had one rooster. And that thing was mean, right? His name was Louie. I'm telling you what, if you're going to have a rooster, you might as well have a banny one, amen? <laughs> I'm just saying, why has everyone got to speak well of you? Can you imagine, oh, he's such a nice rooster, and you can pet the rooster. I'll tell you what, you look cross-eyed, this one, he chased you across the, the farmyard, you know? <laughs> but it says, woe unto you, and all men shall speak well of you. I understand that thing. If you're at work, and all they do is think good about you, I'm not talking about uh, if they think bad about you for being obnoxious or being crude and being rude. But if, uh, if you're living a solid Christian life, doing the best you can to live for the Lord, and everyone thinks good about you, I'd wonder about that thing. Now, if you've got a good work ethic, you're going to be, you're going to be liked. Uh, they're going to tolerate you. Let me clarify that. Uh, they're going to tolerate you because, number one, they don't want to put the effort that you're putting in. Uh, number two, they're going to tolerate you and, and like you in, in, a, in a superficial sense because uh, you'll probably do some of their job. And they'll put up with you. But when it comes to living a solid Christian life and being a testimony for Jesus Christ, the people at the workplace, as most of you know, will not tolerate you. They will not speak well of you. Something about Americans. And uh, look at John chapter 16. I'll show you this thing here. John chapter 16. And if everyone's talking good about you, you might want to do some checking up on that thing. Might want to do some checking up on you. John chapter 16, verse 1. The Bible says, These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. Why? Verse 2. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. You know, there's coming a day when we're raptured out of the church that a lot of people around this world are going to rejoice that you're gone. I'm sorry to break your heart, but when all the Christians are gone, there's going to be a lot of people throwing a big old party. And they're going to be super glad that you're out of here. And it's, some, it's going to be some of your neighbors, too. Some of your neighbors, they put up with you, but they can't stand you because you had the audacity to give them a gospel tract. You had the audacity to witness to them. And what you did is you dented their self-righteousness. And they ain't got the guts to tell you to your face, most of them, but they, they can't stand you. And, uh, but Americans are weird that way. And there's all kinds of people around the world today killing Christians. Now, not in America. America is the exception. And, of course, they're killing, quote-unquote, Christians for all the right reasons, which, by the way, there's no right reason to kill a Christian. Amen? And, uh, but you can expect that as a Christian. Look at Luke 17, one book back, Luke chapter 17. I know most of you know this, but it's a good thing to be reminded because you're going to suffer as a Christian. If you don't get the mindset on that thing right, it'll shake you up. It'll move you out. It'll, you'll, make, you'll get offended. You'll get offended at the Lord. You'll get offended at the brethren. Here's, here's something that, that's real that will happen. You'll start going through suffering. You'll go through trials and tribulations. And the next thing you know, you'll be upset at your brother for it. And it's not their fault. They're not the one putting you through that. But you get upset. Why? Because they're not going through it. And it'll shake you up if you're not ready for it. Look at Luke chapter 17, verse 1. The Bible says, Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. You see that? That's all I want you to see. They're coming. They're coming this week. So the offenses are coming to what? Try your faith. And Paul was extremely concerned about his new converts, the Thessalonians, that they weren't going to be able to withstand the blast of the suffering that they were dealing with. And then they got, got wind of what Paul was dealing with. And uh, like I said before, generally speaking, when we hear someone suffering, we automatically assume it's because they've done something wrong. That's not the case. But Paul's worried, and look, it's... I understand. I'm, I'm not Paul. I didn't suffer what Paul said, but I'll tell you what. It's hard when you take a stand for Jesus Christ and you start to lose friends and you start to get it from family 
and you start to get it from the brethren, and people start walking left and right, and you feel like there's something wrong with you. There is. You're doing right. That's a hard thing. And it's not an easy thing to go through this stuff. And Paul, what he was trying to do, as you see there in verse 2 and 3, he's trying to establish those converts. He's trying to concrete them. And what we'd like to do, and see, here's the thing. Why I think every Christian should do their best to come to church as much as humanly possible is to be like Jimmy Hoffa and get concrete in your boots for Jesus Christ. That's why you need it. Service is not the key. Service is a byproduct of your relationship with Jesus Christ. But what will help you is getting concreted in this book. And that'll keep you from getting offended. That'll keep you from getting all shaken up. And that'll keep you from going off the rails, as they would say. Look at verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. Back to the text. Almost done here tonight. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereto. And that, one more time, that is just your lot in life as a Christian. As the old preacher says, let me encourage you, it gets worse. And that's, why, that's the way the Lord has chosen to purify you. That's an interesting way, isn't it? You know, the Old Testament, when he was dealing with the Jews, you know what they did? If they lived right, they got rich. It don't work that way no more. You've heard the phrase, healthy, wealthy, and wise? I don't apply to New Testament Christianity. You love the Lord? You're serving the Lord the best you can. You might not have a dime to your name. You might have the worst health in the world, but not that Jew in the Old Testament. He was rewarded. Why? Physical promises were to the Jew. God doesn't work that way. That's why when Job, the whole book of Job is written, nobody understands. Everyone expects Job uh, to be in, in the fault, don't they? And they just grill him. Why? Old Testament theology. If you love God... If you are obedient, if you follow the, uh, the word, if you follow his word, then the Lord blesses you. So his three Baptist friends get all around him, including Elihu at the end, which, by the way, Elihu's getting right with Job at the end there, right? And they're giving him grief because they're thinking he's doing wrong. All right. <clears throat> but that's the way the Lord chose to perfect you, and that's the way the Lord chose to establish you. You've got to think about this, Christian. Coming to church is very necessary for your Christian growth. But the way God chose, chooses to establish you and perfect you, it's not all head knowledge and it's not all doctrine. That establishing is you getting out here and getting kicked around for Jesus Christ's sake. And that's the piece that is vitally missing. And I'm not saying, oh, let's go suffer for the Lord this week. I'm just saying it's just not sitting on the pew. It's not just taking notes. It's not just reading your Bible, which is a great thing to keep you in fellowship with Jesus Christ. But the way that the Lord has chosen to purify you and me is through suffering. Through suffering. Look at verse 4. I'll show you more about that when you get to verse 10. But verse 4 says, For verily when we were with you, we told you before that you should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass and you know, so Paul's saying, look, not only am I going to suffer tribulation, not only are we, me and Timothy and all the apostles, but also you're going to suffer tribulation. And you got to remember, like we said, Paul didn't come with these Thessalonians with deceit. And uh, so not only did they know that they got in trouble for it, but they knew Paul was getting in trouble for it. And here in verse 5, Paul couldn't wait to hear what they were doing. And it says again in verse 5, for this cause when I could no longer forbear, Paul's like, I can't wait any longer. I wanted to know something about you all. I sent to know your faith. You know what he wanted to know? He wanted to know if they were still hanging in there. You know, when I come on to church on Sunday, you know what I want to know? You all still hanging in there? I get encouraged when I see you come. I really do. I don't expect anybody to come. I really don't. Why? I probably wouldn't come hear me preach either, amen? But I'm excited when I see people. I see uh, the, the church house kind of filled up slow this morning. It's kind of like, a little bit more towards the opening of the first song there. But all of a sudden I turned around and I saw the people there. I said, well, glory to God. Glory to God. I was, I was excited. He said, you excited because they came to hear you? No, I says, I know better than that. They're coming because they're still in it. They're still in it. That's exciting. That's what Paul wanted to know. Paul wanted to know, were they still hanging in there? Were they still fighting it out? He says, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you in our labor be in vain. Now notice this. Paul is not worried about them losing their salvation. You see that? Paul is saying he's worried about them being shaken by what they're going through. 
Paul is uh, concerned that uh, about is that they might have been upset about what Paul had gone through. They might have been upset about what they were going through. And Paul's saying, look, I couldn't wait. I, I had to know how y'all were doing. I was worried about you. I was concerned about you. I wanted to know if you're still in the fight. And he says at the end of the verse, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Now, let's clarify this. Paul's not worried about his labor for Jesus Christ being in vain. He's not worried about that. But you know what? Anything you do for Jesus Christ is not in vain. You've got to remember that. But sometimes you labor for other people. Hear me through on this now. And your labor for other people will be in vain. The effort and the labor that you put into other people will be in vain. Sometimes you'll lead someone to Jesus Christ. Amen? You'll lead them to the Lord and you'll hope and pray they'll get in the church and start growing and you never see them again. And they don't get in church. A lot of times you'll do everything you possibly can and the individual that you bestow labor upon never does anything for the cause of Jesus Christ. And they don't learn the Bible. And some Christians, no matter what you do, some Christians won't even take the next step in obedience after salvation and get baptized. So what is that? Well, sometimes your labor put into other people is in vain. And that's when you have to realize that that's could, that could be the case. But as far as you work for Jesus Christ, anything that you do for Him is not in vain. Let me read a verse that you know real well. It's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse uh, 58. Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen, the Bible that you read this week, it's not in vain. The time you spent in prayer, not in vain. The service you did for Jesus Christ, not in vain. The tracks you passed out for Him, not in vain. Uh, the good word and good testimony and the encouragement you were to the brethren, not in vain in the Lord. That's what you've got to remember. Uh, last verse, verse 6 here and we're done. But notice this, it says, But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that you have a good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Now here's who bring this thing to a close. I want you to see that Paul's elated because Paul got more than he thought he would. Paul got a whole lot more than he thought he would. And Paul finds out that not only were they well established in the faith, which is a blessing, but they also have charity. That's love and action. You see that right in the verse. They got some charity. They're doing some things and their faith is growing. It's encouraging when you see the faith of others growing. Sometimes you can hear it in how someone prays. Sometimes you can see it because just, uh, just their amount of involvement in things at the local church. And it says here in verse 6 that they have a good remembrance. Now this is one thing you've got to remember. Paul was used to people that he had helped in the past turning on him. So when Paul says here in verse 6 that the people had good remembrance of him, you've got to remember what ministering is. I'll say it one more time. You have got to remember what it is to truly minister to people, whether you're a pastor or a personal worker or a teacher or whatever the fire you are. I'm going to tell you what ministering is. Ministry is this. You do all that you can for people, the people of God. You help get them grounded. You help establish them in the faith. You sometimes even give financially to them. You help people, maybe you find a, a help them with a place to live, a things to eat, a so forth and so on. You help them out of their troubles and trials. You sweat over them. You cry over them. You bleed over them. You pray with them. You worry about them. You get upset over them. And you know what happens? They turn around and spit in your face. That's ministry. And that's why Paul, when those Thessalonians said, had good remembrance of it, he was elated like, Oh, they want us to come back. Think about it. He's establishing churches everywhere, and most of the places he go, he doesn't get a return invite. And he says, y'all have good remembrance of us. And Paul was elated that they hadn't turned on him. Paul was used to going to those places and ministering there, and a lot of folks never wanted to see him again. But that is the ministry, and you've got to remember that. All right, let's stop right there at a good remembrance. A good remembrance. You have, a, you have good remembrance of us always. All right. Why don't you stand? All right, let's have a word for it. Father, we sure love you. 
Father, now you know I don't, I'm not praying that our people have a, a rough week. And Father, you know I don't want them to have to suffer. But Lord, you said we're appointed to afflictions. And you said that all that will live godly will suffer persecution. And Father, your word says it. You suffered, Paul suffered, and they suffered. And Father, I guess we're going to suffer too. So Father, I pray that you give us a good spirit to go through it with. And Father, I pray that you give us the grace, Lord, to take our hands off the wheel and trust in you this week. Father, would you work in our midst? Would you work in our lives? Father, I pray that you bring uh, uh, new members to this church. I pray that you bring young families, Lord, that love the King James Bible and preaching. And Father, I pray that you grow this work as you see fit in the Lord and help us to trust you every step of the way. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.